Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu, Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today that you will speak into our hearts and our lives, that it be your word heard and received, your voice uh, coming forth, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have already ordained for this purpose. Father, I pray that you speak through me and impact our lives during this beautiful, joyous festival of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, in which we're reminded of the reality of your dwelling in our midst. B'Shem Yeshua in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Uh, this morning we are uh, celebrating Shabbat in the midst of the Feast of Sukkot, the Festival of Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, Sukkot is a joyous occasion. It is an uh, exciting time. We get to normally stay in the sukkah or camp out and uh, interact with the reality of who our people were in the wilderness and spending uh, 40 years wandering in the wilderness, living in temporary dwelling places, and particularly experiencing the presence, the Shekhinah, the divine glory of Adonai leading us from place to place. Um, however, this year, uh, as opposed to teaching specifically about Sukkot, uh, as we have in years past, the Lord has placed on my heart, as we've said for a little while now, uh, a few months back, a sermon series for the Fall Moedim, the Fall Appointed Days, called The Call, uh, dealing with the call the Lord has given us as believers, as followers of Messiah. And uh, this is the sixth and final message in this series, uh, The Call. Um, the first two messages were on Rosh Hashanah, and it was the call to repentance. The second two messages were on Yom Kippur, and they were the call to uh, sanctification. And then on Wednesday night and this morning, the final two messages, the call to kingdom living. Um, and I can't think of a better time of year to talk about kingdom living than the festival of Sukkot. Uh, the Sukkot is this really neat opportunity to realize that no matter where we are in life, no matter how much stuff we've acquired, no matter how many blessings we've experienced from the Lord, no matter how great we have become in our area of expertise or whatever else, it's a reminder that everything we have comes from the Lord. It's a reminder that we belong to something greater than ourselves. When we sit in the sukkah, in the open air, and the wind is blowing, and sometimes the rain is falling, and the sunlight's coming in, or the moonlight's coming in, and whatever else, we remember that we are part of something greater. We remember that our people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. We remember specifically that the sukkah reminds us of the tabernacle, the mishkan, the temporary dwelling place for the presence of the Lord. And as believers, the exciting reality is, is it reminds us that we are now that sukkah, that temporary dwelling place, that mishkan, the temporary dwelling place for the presence of the Lord. We are now that tabernacle as his presence resides within us. And as such... There is an obligation, a requirement, an expectation divinely given for us to live a life that honors him, a life that shows that we live in something greater than this world, a life that shows that we are part of the Lord's kingdom. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25, a lot of people don't realize that the idea or the phrasing, the kingdom of God, 
is used approximately 66 to 70 times in the Gospels alone. All right, so Yeshua mentions the kingdom of God approximately 66 times in the Gospels, the four Gospels alone. That's a crazy amount of time for God or a crazy amount of, of uh, repetition of that phrase for God to use and us not to pay attention to. And a lot of times we hear believers talk about, we need to live in the kingdom, we need to be kingdom-minded, we need to have a kingdom life, we need to be kingdom-focused. And a lot of times what we really mean by kingdom isn't God's kingdom, but instead our own kingdom. You know, we hear ministries all the time with that mindset, we're kingdom-focused, and by kingdom-focused we mean our own ministry. Because rarely do we ever focus outside of our own ministry to feed into others' ministries, to feed through others' ministries and in cooperation with other ministries for the kingdom of God. Verse 25 says, So I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your Father in heaven feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Now if in this way God clothes the grass, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the pagans eagerly pursue all these things, yet your Father in heaven knows, all that, you, uh, knows that you need all these. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has tr enough trouble of its own." Uh, it's kind of it's kind of funny the timing of this passage coming about as we are sitting here awaiting Hurricane uh, Nate to come ashore and see what kind of joy it's going to bring and slinging things around and causing more water to fall upon us and uh, and so on. It's I, I think back to just a few weeks ago with Hurricane Irma as there was rumor that it might possibly make its way this way um, as we looked at I mean even. With as large a storm as it was, we were getting tropical storm effects from Irma way over here, and we were nowhere near where the eye of the storm was. And, and I think back to with Irma how from Florida all the way through to Louisiana, almost every store in the area was empty of water and canned goods and non-perishable foods and uh, sandbags and plywood and all this kind of stuff just in case it came this way. And then lo and behold, here comes a hurricane coming our way. And, and I think about the fact that we rush around to gather all of these things, food and water and whatever else, and we're often rushing to gather for ourselves and not really thinking of anyone else. And we're gathering to, uh, and we're trying to find safety for ourselves and not really uh, often thinking of other people in that regard. And we're doing all of these things for ourselves while also forgetting that, you know what, if it does come this way, if it does wreak havoc, you know what? The Lord's got it under control. 
It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how it hits. It doesn't matter how strong it is or uh, uh, what kind of mess comes off of it. We're on the, the likely to catch the, the northeastern part of the storm or the whole east side of the storm, rather. Uh, and that northeastern quadrant of a hurricane is always the worst part of the hurricane. That's where you get tornadoes. That's where you get all the crazy wind and rain and everything else that comes along with it. And the reality is, is there really is something to that that we should be conscious of, but we shouldn't be fearful of. We shouldn't be afraid of because the Lord that we serve, the King of all creation that we serve is who is in control of these events, right? And so as we look at this past and we see the Lord say, don't worry about what's to come tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about whether you're going to have clothes on your back because the Lord already knows what you need. He's already well aware, I think about, and I talked about this on Wednesday night, I think about when we pray for people that need healing, right? Somebody comes up and they've got cancer or some sort of uh, um, crazy illness or something, and we go to pray for them, and for whatever reason, we feel the need to tell God what this person needs, right? Well, Lord, this person's dealing with some really bad struggles, and they've got cancer, and their family's worried, and their family depends on them, and they're not going to be able to work because they're in and out of treatments, and they're going to have this, and they're going to have that, and their finances are going to be affected, and their lives are going to be affected, and their family's going to be affected, and, and Lord, what about this, and what about that, and, and, and if maybe it's your will, could you heal them, or make the doctors heal them, or this, or that, or the other, and, and often I think what we're really trying to do is, is encourage and build up our own faith that we serve a God who can actually do these things we're asking for. Because the reality is, is just like he's saying here, the Lord doesn't need us to tell him what this person needs or what this person has or what the prognosis is because he was aware of it all before the doctors were, right? He was well aware of the crisis that this person was going to go through before it ever came to that time in their life. The Lord doesn't need us to tell him what they need. Instead, he needs us to have faith to trust that he can bring healing and he can bring provision, and he can bring protection and blessing. And so when we look through the scriptures, we realize that, the, that Yeshua and the disciples never walked up to somebody needing help, uh, needing healing, and, and try to talk themselves or God into believing it could happen. Instead, they just declared it, right? Yeshua would walk up and say, get up and walk, open your eyes and see, get out of the grave, Lazarus, and come forth. The disciples run around, get up and walk, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I given to you, get up and walk, take up your mat and go, Right? They didn't need to remind themselves of what God can do because they had perfect faith in what he can do. And the same spirit of God that resided in them resides within us and the same power and authority from on high in the Ruach HaKodesh that resided within them resides within us. And we have the same ability to do those things. Yeshua said, through the comfort that would come, we would do even greater things than he did. And I believe that to be true. And so he goes on to say that, uh, as we move uh, through that passage, he goes on to say here, look, you're worried about clothes and food, but the birds, they don't plant uh, flowers or plant grain and wait for it to, to come up and harvest it. And I provide them food. They never go hungry. And the, the, the plants, the grass, the flowers, they're going to die in a couple of months. And yet I make sure that they're nourished and covered and that they're doing what they're supposed to do. What makes you think I won't take care of you too? What makes you think I won't take care of things for you? Verse 31, therefore do not worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for the pagans eagerly pursue all these things. In other words, the world around us, that's what they're concerned with. They're concerned with prog progress. They're concerned with gaining as much as possible, with building mass wealth and, and, uh, and storehouse and whatever else. That's what the world around us is concerned with. It says, yet your Father in heaven knows that you need all these things. But seek first, before anything else, above anything else, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. 
In other words, we don't need to worry about chasing our dreams. doesn't mean don't have dreams, and it doesn't mean don't go after them, but we don't have to worry. If your dream is to be a multimillionaire with a giant mansion, don't worry about it. If that's God's will for your life, it'll all work out. And if it's not, you know what? He's got something better in store for you. I don't know what's better than that other than not having to clean a giant mansion. Um, but the reality is, is that the Lord's got it all under control, and so it really doesn't matter what we think we want. We live in a different kingdom. We don't live in this world's reality. We're stuck in this world's reality. But we live in the kingdom of the Lord God Most High. We live in the kingdom of Messiah, and in the kingdom of Messiah, our focus as heirs in that kingdom should not be on what we want or what the world around us wants. We look at Israel in the wilderness with a golden calf, and we recognize that Israel's failure was they wanted what everyone else had because what they actually had that was greater than the nations around them was the presence of the Lord, and they did not want it. They were afraid of it. They weren't necessarily sold on it. And when Moses was on the mountain a little too long, they got scared. Well, maybe God doesn't really care about us. Maybe Moses is dead. How in the world could he possibly be alive? He hasn't eaten all this time. Uh, Aaron, go build us a golden calf. We'll worship it as a God that led us. Why a golden calf? Because that's what the people around them worshipped and served were idols. And it didn't matter what that idol was. They wanted an idol as they were used to in Egypt. And so the Lord says, focus on my kingdom and on my righteousness. Focus on what I want for you and what I have in store for you and everything else will fall in place. As believers, a lot of times we lose focus on this and we find ourselves wanting to chase the great American dream or wanting to chase what everybody else in the world around us has or wants or, or thinks they need and we're wanting to, to be like everyone. We want to we you know, keep up with the Benjamins. We want to keep up with everything else that everybody else is doing, but we don't actually want to, to focus on the one thing we should focus on, which is the presence and power of the Lord. Because we are a part of a kingdom that is greater than anything this world could ever imagine. And when we focus on his kingdom, when we focus on his righteousness, when we focus on what the Lord wants to do for us and through us, we can actually impact this world around us. We can actually bring the kingdom of God to the world around us in ways that we could have never imagined, in ways that we could have never handled on our own. We talked about this briefly on Wednesday, but in Galatians chapter 5, he says, but the fruit of the Ruach, or the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Messiah have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if you're still chasing after passion and desires of the flesh... Rather than the kingdom of God first and his righteousness first, then you are not actually of crucified flesh, but instead trying to live with your feet in both worlds, the world of the kingdom of Messiah and the world of this fallen world around us that we are to be redeemed from. He says, now those who belong to Messiah have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Ruach, let us also walk by the Ruach. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, this goes the same for those in ministry uh, as it does anyone else. Look, I know people, and I've been guilty of it myself, going, why is our ministry, our congregation, not as big as, or as effective as, or as whatever else as, as whatever other ministry we can pick out of a line? Why is it our congregation? Now, I know the answer, and primarily it's that we're a niche market. You know, not everybody uh, really gets the whole Messianic thing, and not everybody is going to live the whole Messianic thing, and not everybody's going to get on board with that. But we're, we're, the reality is, is our congregation at 50, 60, 70 people most of the time is considerably smaller than almost any church in the area around us. It doesn't mean we're any less effective. 
Not to mention, it doesn't mean that we have any less of a piece to play in the kingdom of God. It also means that it's of more necessity that we work in partnership with the rest of the kingdom of God. Because if we have 50, 60, 70 people, we can only affect so much of the world around us. But if we can partner with congregations that have hundreds and thousands, how much more can we affect the world around us? That's why some of my closest friends in the area are pastors uh, in the area, and we connect and we try to to feed into each other and uplift each other and, and so on, because we want to see the kingdom of God be glorified and not build our own kingdom. So I want to encourage you, take to heart that reality of walking in the Ruach, living in the Ruach, breathing in the Ruach, because it is the reality of the kingdom of God. First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 4 says, Now there are various kinds of gifts with the same Ruach, the Spirit. There are various kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are various kinds of working, but the same God who works all things in all people. But to each person is given the manifestation of the Ruach or the Spirit for the benefit of all. For to one is given the Ruach, a word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Ruach. To another, faith by the same Ruach. To another, gifts of healing by the same Ruach. To another, workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Ruach activates all these things distributing to each person individually as he wills. If you have a gift of healing, don't worry about being jealous of the dude with a gift of prophecy. If you have a gift of speaking in tongues, don't be jealous of the person who has a gift of words of wisdom. All right? The Lord gave you gifts and talents for His purposes by the leading of His Ruach HaKodesh, His Holy Spirit, so that you can be used uniquely as He has created you to be a blessing in the kingdom of God and the world around us. And he goes on to say, and by the way, I don't think that this list is a concise list. I don't think it's all of the gifts of the Spirit. I don't think God plays by rules and regulations of this tight-knit little box. I think God's greater than that and can do far more things than that. All right? I think that there are more gifts available. I don't know what they all are, but I know that I've seen people operate when the Spirit of God moves, and I'm telling you, I've seen it when the Spirit of God moves and none of the things in this list happens in their life, but other things do. All right? I believe fervently that this is just a snapshot of what is possible. He's saying, look, here are the things God can do, A, B, C, D, E, F. And by the way, there aren't enough alphabet to run through the list. He can do so much more. If you're just willing to humble yourself, sit back, and enjoy the ride, he wants to work through you for the good of his kingdom. And then he goes on to say uh, later on in this chapter, he says, for not everyone speaks in tongues, do they? And not everyone will have the manifestation of prophecy, will they? And not everyone will have wisdom, will they? No, they won't. By the way, same thing Moses says when the Spirit falls on the 70 elders and uh, Joshua comes right up and goes, dude, you got to shut these guys up. They're scaring people. They're speaking in tongues and prophesying and nobody knows what to do with them. And Moses goes... I'm not shutting them up. I wish that you all would do this. I wish that everybody could do this, right? And he goes on, he says, not everyone has the gift of healing or, or the, the gift of tongues, and not everyone uh, can interpret and, and speak wisdom and so on. He goes on, but verse 31 says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and still I show you a far better way. And then he goes into the passage, chapter 13, about love and how love is the greatest gift. See, even in that list, we can see it's not concise because immediately after it goes, oh, by the way, here's another one, love. And if everything we do is operated through the love of Messiah, it doesn't matter what gift we operate in in the Ruach, it will be for the good and glory of his kingdom. A lot of times I think we're so focused on trying to find our place 
that we lose focus on just allowing the Lord to use us. See, this isn't about us. It's not about what we can do or what we can uh, uh, affect or what we can change. Heck, the Great Commission isn't even about you and I going out to lead others to faith. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. But the whole purpose is for the kingdom of God to be glorified before all men. And if our lives as followers of Messiah, as those bought by the blood atonement of Yeshua, as those washed in the cleansing blood of the Lamb, as those who have received the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, does not glorify the kingdom of God before all men, before anything else that we do, then we need to realign our lives with the Lord because we are failing miserably at what the Lord wants to do through us and what He wants to do for the world in us. Verse uh, 20, chapter 17 of the book of Luke says, Now when Yeshua was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, He answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with signs to be seen, nor will they say, Look here or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is already here. We're not waiting for some end-time miraculous event to occur to bring the kingdom of God here. It is already here because the king, God himself, dwells within our lives. He is already here. The kingdom of our God is already here, and our job is to see that kingdom grow beyond boundaries, beyond limitations, beyond anything else. Our job is to get on board with what the Lord wants to do through us. He has given us gifts and talents. A lot of times we want to hoard them or we're too ashamed to show them. Or, you know, if I raise my hands, what are people going to think? If I dance, what are people going to think? If I sing out loud, who's, what if somebody doesn't like my voice? If I go out in the community and I start to spread the gospel and somebody gets upset, well, what do I do then? Oh, the Lord put on my heart to pray for somebody at the grocery store, but I'm not, really, I'm, I'm not an outgoing person. I don't really want to do that. I'm, I'm scared. I, I, okay, cool. Well, how do you know that that person, that, that the Lord didn't put you in that person's life at that very moment to bring them off the edge of the cliff so that their life could be changed and, and turned into glory for the kingdom of God and brought back? I've talked about it before. For years, we saw news reports. It was almost a daily basis. You see news reports about people losing, you know, some 50, 60-year-old guy loses his job and can't think of anything else to do and doesn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. He's been laid off, and at his age, he doesn't think he's got any shot of getting hired anywhere else, and the only solution he can come up with is to grab his firearm and to wipe out his family and turn it on himself and kill himself because he can't imagine having his family go through what would, would likely occur with financial distress. He can't handle the pain and the anguish of facing his family and feeling like he was a failure. And I often wonder how many people like you and I had the Lord put in that guy's place just that single day alone and placed it upon their heart to just be kind to them, to speak a word of encouragement into their life, to pray for them, to offer to do something nice for them. And how many of us chose not to follow the lead of God because we were afraid or we were concerned of what people might think? How many people pass on the opportunity to change that man's life forever, to bring life into his life? And then I go beyond that and I think about the fact that we don't even have to go quite so gloomy and despairing. All we got to do is look at the people that live in our neighborhood or go to work with us. How often is it we truly 
live and glorify the gospel in our lives around other people so that they see the work and the power and the might of God in our lives and are drawn to us. Unfortunately, we spend as believers more time condemning people for their lifestyles and their choices than we do trying to uplift them and trying to live our life in such a way that they see the presence of God and want what we have. And we're constantly trying to beat them down and shove uh, uh, our mentality and morality down their throats. We're trying to, to, to Bible thump them into salvation. And it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. It drives more people away from the Lord. What the Lord wants to do is to use us. He wants us to get out the way. And he wants our lives to be seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness so that all that people see is his presence, his glory. This is Sukkot. This is a time in which we focus on the wilderness experience of Israel in which we get to, to, to contemplate the presence of the Lord leading Israel literally, his divine presence, the glory of God, the Shekhinah in the manifestation of fire and cloud, fire by uh, night and cloud by day, literally leading Israel through the wilderness. And I think about how often the nations around them must have saw that. And I don't think it was something that only Israel saw. I don't think it was some figment of imagination that only Israel could contemplate. But I often wonder how many of the nations around them saw that presence of God and went, that's really neat. I want some of that. And then immediately saw the people of God and went, I don't need any of that though. And then I wonder how many times people look at my life and they say, see, I want the presence of God that's in that guy's life. But there's something about his life I just I don't want that. And if that's what it looks like to be in the presence of God, if that's what it looks like to be a believer, if that's what it looks like to emulate Yeshua, I don't want that. And the reality is any of us, each of us at any moment can think back in our lives. I mean, even just the last week. And I guarantee there are times in our lives that we can look back and we can easily go, you know what? I know the Lord was in my life. I don't think he vacates me all of a sudden because I tripped up and sinned. But I also know that my life at this moment or this moment or this moment was absolutely not showing the kingdom of God to the world around me. There's a whole world of people out there that are hurting, that are broken, that have no hope, that cannot imagine tomorrow. And the reason they're in the place they are, and I believe this fervently, is because we, the body of Messiah, have failed to live in the kingdom of God day in and day out. Many of us, most of the body of Messiah today, believes in Yeshua and his sacrifice, but rarely ever opens one of these up. Rarely ever falls on our knees before the Lord. Rarely ever takes the time to fast and set aside things of this world that we can focus on his kingdom and his righteousness. Rarely are we willing to speak words of life into others. Rarely are we willing to go outside of our comfort zone. Rarely are we willing to let the Lord actually and fully take over. Because what are people going to think? And that's the question the Lord has. Is what could people think if you let me take over? If you lived by the kingdom of God, day in, day out, every waking moment of our lives, what could the world think? 
what would the world be like? We want to see this world changed. First and foremost, we have to desire to see this world find the Lord in our lives. See his kingdom before them. We have to be willing to walk in his ways. Yeshua says, look, it's not going to be easy. The world is going to hate you because of me. They're not going to hate you because of you. They are going to hate you because of me. And I think he says that because what he's trying to get at is don't worry about what they're going to think. Because what they think at the moment doesn't matter. I wear a yarmulke and seat seat around all the time. All the time. I'm in an area where there's no such thing as a kosher restaurant because there isn't a such thing as a restaurant that doesn't have pork or shellfish in it. All right? It just doesn't exist that I'm aware of. I need to find it if it does. Um, but, but the reality is I live in an area where people look at me and immediately I'm weird. And I, I mean, I'd probably earn it too, but that's okay. Um, but I'm weird, and I know that. And, and for me, perhaps wearing a keep and seat seat all the time cuts that ice for me where I don't have to worry about what people are going to think because I already at least know some of what they're thinking. Heck, I've had conversations with some of the worst of the worst of the people around us. Uh, I grew up in, in Mobile for, for uh, middle school and high school, and I've seen burning crosses with sheets dancing around it. I've seen swastikas on people's foreheads and arms. I've seen and heard some of the worst things you could imagine. Somebody tried running my dad over once with me and my brother standing right there because he had a yarmulke on his head. He yelled out the window. He made sure to yell out the window why he was trying to do it. Um, I, I've, I've seen it. I've experienced it. I know what happens. I already know what some of the people around us think about me. And I'm okay with that. I don't really care. Because what I care most about is what do they think of Messiah in me? Do they see Messiah in me? And I can promise you I'm not perfect by any means. None of us are. And there are definitely moments in my life where <laughs> the last thing they see is Messiah. All right? And, and I have to work on that as much as anyone else does. But there are those times in my life, and they are countless how many times I've experienced it. And this isn't to brag, this is to encourage because this is something that's available to all of us. There have been times in my life where how weird I looked or how strange the words that I spoke didn't matter because people saw the presence of the divine glory of Adonai in my life before they heard the message of the gospel come out my mouth. People have walked up to me and said, there is something different about you. I need to know what it is. I can see and sense this warmth and light upon you. What is it? I need it. I want it. What is it? The times where I've had the most effective ministry are the times where I didn't say anything. I let God work through me. I at all times preach the gospel of necessary use words. And by the way, no matter how much we quote St. Francis of Assisi for that, we need to understand it's rarely ever necessary. Usually when we use words is when we start messing it all up anyways. So I want to encourage you at the end of this, uh, this series, I want to encourage you, take that call and run with it. We have been called to righteousness. We have been called to repentance, to sanctification, to kingdom living. We've been called to impact the world around us. Each and every one of us, God has allowed the circumstances in our lives to occur, not because they were necessarily his will, but because he knew what he could do through them. No doubt in my mind. I know people who spent time in prison, I can guarantee it was not God's will for them to be in prison. I don't believe it's God's will for anyone to be in prison. We end up in prison because at some point we went outside of his will, way outside of it. 
wasn't his will, but that doesn't mean God can't use them in prison. And it definitely doesn't mean God can't use them outside of prison. Because you know what? The guy that's been in prison can minister to people in a way I can't. I've never experienced shackles. I've never experienced the, the sound of the clank shutting behind me. I've never experienced having to wear pinstripes or orange jumpsuits or whatever else you can imagine. I've never experienced that. And I can't speak into that circumstance in the same way that they can. Doesn't mean it was God's will for them to be there, but it's absolutely God's will for them to, for, to use it for the good of his glory and his kingdom. So I don't care the circumstance of your life and where you've come from and what you've been through and what people have done to you. God wants to use each and every one of those circumstances for the good of his glory and his kingdom because he has not redeemed only your sins. He has redeemed everything. All of the bad things that have happened to you. All of the tormentuous things that have occurred in your life. All of the sorrow and the grief and the pain and the anguish and the sorrow and the crying and the, the, the screaming and the yelling. All of the, the curses people have spoken over you. All of these things have been redeemed by the glory of God and the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua. Nothing has been left untouched by the hand of God. And if we dwell on it, it's not because that's what God wants us to dwell on, but because we are not seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. Because when we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, we start to find healing. We start to find restoration and deliverance. And most importantly, we start to be able to use, be used by God and others' lives in those situations for them to find restoration, healing, deliverance, and most importantly, salvation. The end of Acts 2, it says that there were those added that day, thousands that had come to faith. Peter didn't preach anything new. The power of God was moving. It's time that we, the body of Messiah, get out of God's way and let his power move in a way that we could have never imagined. I don't buy into cessationism. His spirit didn't pop on the scene for Acts 2, and at the end of Acts, uh, it was over with. His spirit has been here forever. There's only ever been one revival, and we're either in it or we're out of it. We need to get in it, people. It's the world that we live in has fallen apart quickly. Messiah is returning soon. And we need to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And the only way we will hear that is if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Amen. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, we adore you. We recognize and understand the weight of the calling you have given us as believers. The great commission to go and make disciples of all men. Father, we recognize the calling that you have given us to walk faithfully and fervently in your way and to align our lives with your will day in and day out. And Father, I pray right now that you will pour out your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, in a mighty and powerful and new way in our lives. That from this moment forward, we will be energized and exhilarated to walk in your ways in such a fashion as to share your kingdom with all of those we come into contact with without ever having to open our mouths. Father, I pray that you take our feet out of our mouths, that we may speak your will, your way, your words into others' lives. Father, I pray that you get our heads out the sand, that we recognize what's going on in the world around us, and that we have an important part to play in these days that we live. That we get our heads out the sand and recognize that it's now or never. Father, use us for the good of your glory and your kingdom, that all may come to know you and glorify your name before all men. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Amen.